All right, so I'm the father of, and I've talked about this a lot, father of three wonderful kids. You may have seen them walking through the lobby a little bit, a little bit ago, 12, 10, and 7, and they're awesome. But having three kids, 12, 10, and 7, I have had the privilege of watching the entire Disney catalog uh, probably 70 times, maybe seven times 70. I feel like I've watched them all over and over and over again. And, uh, and it's interesting, you start to see some patterns if you watch Disney movies over and over and over again. Uh, do you know, do you happen to know how most characters are introduced in a Disney movie? Most main characters, what happens? Anybody know? They sing a song. They sing a song. That's like at the beginning, they sing a song. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to dig into this a little bit, this idea of this song and, and what happens in this song. But there's at least a couple of you right now that are probably like, hey, 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 wait a second. Zach's like the Disney guy. And like you're doing a Disney thing. And like that's kind of stepping. You know what? I will totally concede that point. Uh, except uh, for this, my sweet wife once played Peter Pan in the high school musical. And she was amazing. And so I've earned two minutes of Disney talk. So uh, so this song, here's what happens uh, in, in this song. It's an opportunity for the character to talk about uh, how, they, how they wish things were, who they wish to be, how, how they wish the world uh, was. And, and through the song, it talks about what they hope happens through the rest of the movie, and then the rest of the movie kind of works out that plan. And Disney actually has a name for this, which it makes me wonder how susceptible I am to uh, corporate marketing. Uh, they actually have a formula for, for this. It's called the I Wish song, or the I Want song, and we've heard them a lot. I want to be where the people are. Anybody know that one? Little Mermaid. Okay, thanks, Abby. She's like, yeah, I've watched it 70 times too. I want to venture in the great wide somewhere. Belle. I just can't wait to be king. Lion King. Okay, now we're getting there. Uh, this next one's a little more complicated because they hired the guy from Hamilton to write it, but uh, stick with me. Uh, see the line where the sky meets the sea? It calls me, and no one knows how far it goes. If the wind in my sail on the sea stays behind me, one day I'll know. And if I go, there's just no telling how far I'll go. I wanted to sing it. I really did. Uh, Moana, anybody? Yeah, OK. So why does Disney do this? Why, why do they do this over and over again? Why does this become a formula? Well, because kids get it. Kids know the power of a dream. And they know that a dream coming true really doesn't have a whole lot to do with being able to control everything and, and manipulate everything and make it all happen. A dream coming true is far more about believing enough in it that you go for it. Kids are special that way. But the thing is, I don't think we leave this when we're kids, this idea of dreaming, this I, this I wish thing. Because if I gave you just a couple of seconds, I'm actually going to, a couple of seconds, what do you wish for? I don't think it'll be blank space. I think you'd come up with things. Well, I, I, I wish I would get noticed a little bit more. I wish I knew I was loved. I wish I wasn't so insecure. I wish I could be part of something big, something important. I wish I didn't worry so much. See, the I Wish song is not just about kids. It's about adults as well, because there's something very human about longing for something good out there. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus opens his day. He begins his day in solitude and prayer, and then he calls his 12 followers to him. But that morning, far more than just the 12 came to him. A crowd had actually gathered. And he's on a mountainside in the north part of, of Capernaum. And this multitude has come to hear him speak. And they've come from all over the place. Jesus' followers were mostly low-income agrarian Jews. 
in first century Palestine. So if they traveled out to this mountainside to hear him speak this morning, longing to hear his message, that means they weren't in the sea fishing and they weren't in their fields planting. They'd left a lot to come out to him that morning. And so Jesus, to these, these tired, trusting travelers, they've trust enough to leave where they were to come hear him, he gives God's I wish song, starting in Matthew 5. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount gives this really beautiful picture of how things could be. And I don't have time to walk through the whole Sermon on the Mount, but I really encourage you, if you have time, read starting in Matthew 5 to the end. It's all the letters in red. It's Jesus' longest uh, diatribe or sermon that we have of his, save, uh, save John 14. But here's what happens. He starts to paint this picture uh, of community, a community of people that, that, that notices the needy and that gives to them, doesn't push them to the side, but actually gives and invites them in. He, he gives this picture of a community that prays fervently, prays so hard that God would change their hearts and, 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 and reveal who he is, that it would actually uh, change their entire society. It's where we get the Lord's Prayer. He gives this really radical, strange almost picture of, of holiness, the idea of holiness being set apart for the purpose of following God. He, he says things like, you've heard it say, don't murder. I say, don't even let anger get started. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, if you let even lust enter into the equation, you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. No, love them all, Jesus says, down to the most unlovely. I mean, Jesus giving this beautiful picture of society and one that when we're all thinking clearly, we actually say, you know what? I, I think I would love to be a part of that type of, that type of society, that type of community. He then goes on to, to say, let me give you what it means to be free. Free from this pursuit of, of, of what uh, modern social scientists have confirmed actually kills us, but we so often pursue. This pursuit of, of accumulating more and more and more and more and calling that safety, calling that life. Jesus says, let me free you up from that. And he says in, in chapter 6, he says, don't store up treasures in, uh, on earth where, where they'll just rot. Store up treasures in heaven. He's essentially saying, if you pursue the kingdom of you, with you at the center, you'll probably find it. If you pursue the kingdom of you, you'll, you'll probably find it. You'll just miss the kingdom you were made for. And after all of this, at, at the end of chapter 6, Jesus seems to answer a question that no one actually audibly asked, but I'm sure he could feel the tension building. And he seems to answer this question that was probably in the minds and hearts of everybody that was listening to him, hearing this picture of society that sounds so beautiful but so hard to attain. That question is, God, can I trust you? I mean, if I go after this, if I actually pursue this thing that you're inviting me into, is it worth it? Can I trust you? And to this unasked question, Jesus responds this way. It's on your bulletin if you want to read along, but in chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. These words of Jesus right here, this place where Jesus actually gets poetic almost, inviting the people to look around at the beauty around them, it separates him from all of the rabbis, all the teachers of Jesus' day. This makes him very, very different in his interpretation of how to apply the Old Testament into uh, contemporary life. See, Jesus' contemporaries, they spoke about a process that you would work to become part of the kingdom of God. If you do this right, you're in. But if you aren't good enough, sorry, you're out. The kingdom is all about what you bring to the table. But Jesus isn't giving a system to follow. Jesus never gives a system to follow. He doesn't give outward observances and prescriptions to earn God's love. Jesus gives an invitation to believe and go for it. That's what he does. That's what Jesus does again and again and again. He gives an invitation to believe, and he says, go for it. So this is about money, but it's not about money. And this is about tithing, but it's not about tithing. It's about pursuing the I wish song of Jesus, the one we're actually made for, and being surprised at what happens through us, but also in us as we do. There was a study that, that recently concluded. I've talked about this before, but I find it so incredibly fascinating. Uh, it's a study on uh, generosity. And it turned into a book that's about this thick, uh, and, and it's a really interesting read. But these social scientists, not Christians, uh, not followers of Jesus, but these social scientists started to look at generosity. And they said at the beginning of the book, you would assume that generosity results in a loss. It makes sense, right? So if I'm generous to something, if I give to something, if I believe enough in something that I give of what I have toward it, then that results in a loss. I lose the, the money that I give, or the time, if I put my time in, then that's an opportunity lost because I could be spending that time on something else. So generosity should result in a loss mathematically. But what they found in this really extensive study is that generosity is actually paradoxical. There's actually a gain that's greater than what's lost every time we're generous. They put it in a category of what they call goods, contentment, health, and purpose. Those are the result of generosity. So their conclusion, these secular social scientists who wrote a book this thick, as they said, generosity is paradoxical. We get far more than we lose when we're generous. Can you hear Jesus behind that study? He's saying, trust me. If you want what you need, you have to seek something outside of yourself. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You'll get more than you give, I promise. Trust me. And we may have a question like, okay, so uh, good, I, I, I get it, and I, and I want to trust Jesus. And he says, seek first the kingdom. Okay, fine, but what is that? What is this kingdom that, that we're supposed to be seeking together? I don't want to be seeking after the long, this, this thing or seeking after the wrong thing. And so we don't use this word kingdom all that often, but it's talked about in the scriptures again and again and again. 
So what is it? What is Jesus talking about when he talks about kingdom? Well, as simply as I can put it, it's this. Kingdom is where the invitation to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself is accepted. Anywhere the invitation to love God and love people as yourself is accepted, the kingdom comes to life. It bursts to life. And so if that's all there was, was a world of people who were loving God and loving people, then the kingdom would be here in fullness. So that's it. If we love God and love people, we're seeking this kingdom. We're doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And when that happens, what was lost in the garden actually gets found. The wrong that was done there gets undone. When humanity first turned from from God in the garden, uh, they sinned. They disobeyed God. They decided to trust their plan for what was good and right and true over God's plan for what was good and right and true. And honestly, every time we do it, we perpetuate that same thing. But there's a curse that comes with that sin. The curse is isolation. At that moment, at that first sin, that's where poverty entered the world. We think of poverty often as a lack of stuff. Like, I have stuff and you don't have stuff, so if I give you stuff, you no longer have poverty. But Genesis 1 actually says something very different. It says poverty isn't a lack of stuff. It's a brokenness of relationship. Because they turned from God and then they hid. And now the relationship between God and people is messed up. And the relationship between people and people is messed up. They hid from each other. That's poverty. It's not a lack of stuff. It's a brokenness of relationship. Kingdom, when we love God and love others, that's where relationship is brought back together. That's where poverty actually ends. And all that might seem like a long way off. I mean, we live in a world, all you have to do is turn the news on, open up social media. Maybe you're going through a particularly tough time individually, and you're like, that seems ridiculous. This idea that that's all there could be, loving God and loving people, it seems like a pipe dream. It seems like such a long way off. And it probably did for all of those followers on that hillside. But there's Jesus saying to those wanderers on the hillside, saying to us this morning, look, look, I'm right here. The kingdom is at hand. God is near. See, seeking the kingdom, like Jesus asked us to, what we're supposed to make our life about, don't worry about tomorrow, seek the kingdom. It starts with actually seeing. This is why Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, says just 30 years after Jesus spoke these words on this hillside to to a small church, he says, whatever's true, Whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, whatever's lovely or admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. You know what? There's a promise that comes with the command. Paul gives that command. Whatever's true and lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, think on these things. That's the command. The promise is if you do, the God of peace will be with you. We talked a couple weeks ago about a scale. If you had a scale of all the things you spend your time thinking about, and on one side of the scale is everything that's wrong with the world, true things that are actually wrong with the world, but what's wrong with the world, the struggles that you are having, the the despair that you feel and that others feel, if that's one side of the scale, and the other side of the scale is all that's good and right and true in the world. If your scale tips this way, and you spend most of your time or all of your time thinking about what's not right and what's wrong, with this world, it will be really, really hard for you to seek the kingdom, to join the I wish song, to love God and love people, because you won't be seeing clearly. I think that's why Jesus says, look around. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the grasses of the field. 
Look how God actually provides for them. And he loves you so much more. I don't know what the world's been telling you about telling you about yourself this week. God loves you so much more. He's created you for so much to be a part of his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said to remember that it's going to take rhythm. A rhythm of seeing Right, of actually intentionally saying, you know what, I, I, I am spending too much time down here. I'm not spending nearly enough time up here. I need to change that equation, a rhythm of actually seeing the fullness of what's happening in the world. It fights against our natural inclination to become numb to things. Bad things, yeah, but good things as well. The smile of a child. That song that comes on that, that has a potential to remind you of when you first fell in love with your spouse the acts of generosity that always follow the natural disasters. We have a tendency to become numb to those things. But a rhythm of seeing says, I'm going to mark time and space and attention to focus on what's right in the world because becoming numb to beautiful things is an absolute tragedy. Seeking the kingdom starts with seeing, which builds trust. Trust that God really is good. But it doesn't end with seeing. Seeking the kingdom doesn't end with seeing. It just starts there. Seeking the kingdom also takes loosening the grip on things that we could easily hold too tightly to. Three categories of things. Our time, our talent, and our resources. And at the heart of this is is control. Control of our stuff and how our stuff gets leveraged. And so the question for us right here in this room, same one from the hillside 2,000 years ago, Jesus' followers God, can I trust you? Because our grip tightens so easily with every disappointment, every promotion that becomes all we pursue, every purchase that hems us in and doesn't give us a chance to to see the world outside of our front yard, every time we think the car is too old, the house is too small, that league isn't good enough for my kids, the TV isn't HD enough, all of those things can make our grip really tight. And those things are probably true some of the time. They're just not true all the time. And if we find ourselves thinking that way all the time, we might find that in our attempt to control things, it's our things that are controlling us. Ever bought something you couldn't really afford because of that unspoken thought, I deserve this. And unless we loosen the grip on the things that we've been blessed with, that we've undoubtedly worked hard for, I'm not going to question that uh, even in the slightest, but things that we've been blessed with, we can't be free to take hold of this kingdom idea. And here's the tricky thing about trust. Sometimes holding on too tightly can actually look like trust. I learned this very early in in being a follower of Jesus. I became a follower of Jesus in my late teens. And so uh, a couple years after that, I got into my first small group. We call them Summit Connect groups here. I think they're crucial. If you're not in a Summit Connect group, you absolutely should be in one. Uh, But I was with this small group of of guys, and we got together and talked about life and, and the Bible, and it was amazing. I'd never experienced anything like this before. And we talked about real things like relationships and, and money, which seems like a good way to end relationships but it was actually really good, and we, we built up some trust. And I remember when this came up, uh, I, I 
at that point in my life, I was honestly pretty proud of, of this. I, I kind of said, yeah, you know, I give. Uh, I, I give. I'm, I'm a pretty generous guy. You know, I, I, give to, uh, I give to church. Well, I don't really give to church much because it's like you never know what's going on over there at the church, you know. And, uh, but I give to, like, organizations that are doing really good work. And I make sure to spread it out. And I do a lot of research to make sure they're doing all the right things. And I was really kind of proud of this thing. And Jason King, uh, who, who was probably my first mentor, brought me into ministry for the first time. Uh, I'll never forget. He, he said... Uh, I just got a question for you. Just you, know, you can think about it. He was always deferential. He said, uh, is you not wanting to, to give to the church, is that about the church or is that, is that about you? Is it about the church not being enough of what it should be or about you wanting to be in control of the things that you've been given as a gift? Is it about wanting to ensure that you put your mark on the world? Is it really about having a very low opinion, a very low view of what God said he'd be up to in building. As Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church from now until I come back. Do you, do you actually have a really low view of that? His bride, his family, his temple, his people, his church. And he had me. Because that's exactly what it was. For me, that's exactly what it was. It, it was. it wasn't trust. It was control that I was after. And here's how I knew it. Because you can kind of disguise it and say, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm generous. I trust God. I mean, I'm given to, to, to work that honors him. But here's the thing. Here's how I know I wasn't really about trust and wasn't really about generosity. Because as soon as the unexpected bill came, as soon as the car broke down, I stopped seeking his kingdom altogether to make sure I could protect mine. My rhythm... The rhythm of my life to that point in me following Jesus was about returning again and again and again to the question, am I secure enough? Am I in control enough? Because if the answer to either of those questions was no, I stopped trusting and I stopped giving and generosity didn't even have a chance of coming to life. And the challenge for me then, and I believe the challenge for us now, in a world that, that screams, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow you die, take care of number one first, in a world that screams that at us, the challenge is trusting Jesus when he says, my kingdom, this I wish song, it's actually worth it. Like it really is worth giving your best toward. And that giving up the idea of the relentless pursuit of accumulating more and more and more and more for yourself is life to the fullest. It's worth giving that idea up altogether. And here's what I've found. Though I don't do it perfectly by any stretch, it is worth it. It is worth trusting Jesus. And I've seen it. I've seen it here with you. I've been on staff for, for eight years at Summit, and I've seen God do incredible things when people are generous to the things God is about, the things that he cares about. Eight years ago, uh, the idea of multi-site came to life. We were one church in one location, and we needed to, to spread out or, or build a bigger building, and we looked at the scriptures, and we said, look, it seems pretty clear in the scriptures that Jesus goes to people where they are to help them know they matter to God. We should probably do that as well. And so when we presented the idea to our partners, people that are, are locked in here at Summit, there's, by the way, there's about, um, about 1,000 partners, 1,200 partners at Summit. 35 people said, I'll go, uh, which uh, doesn't sound like a lot, but I'll never 
never forget when I, I was like, 35 people said yes? I can't believe it. Like, I don't even know if I can say yes yet. Uh, but they're saying yes, and it was so great. And so they said, yeah, we'll be a part of it. Like, we want to be a part of it. And you know what they did? Those 35 people, they put in, they, they put in their time. They showed up early and they stayed late and they stacked chairs and they folded chairs and they prayed like crazy. They put in their time. They put in their talent and their resources because they believed that a place like this was worth investing in, worth being a part of because God could do something significant if we had a place like this and if we were a people like this. And they still show up early and they still stay late. I mean, they were, they're in base camp right now. They're showing up like when I'm showing up at 7 this morning. Now there's over a 1,000 adults and kids that worship in expressions of summit that didn't exist eight years ago. A 1,000 people. It's worth it. Because people set their eyes on the kingdom and they loosened the grip of what they had. This became reality. At this campus, there are now over 200 people in 20 different Summit Connect groups committed to learning and serving and worshiping together, creating community where people can be invited in and take their next right step in following Jesus. At our last NYSERV, I know I talked about NYSERV coming up in a couple of weeks. At our last NYSERV, 230 adults that called this campus home served our churchwide service day, and it was incredible. It's 1,000 hours of community service in one morning. In the 15 years that Summit has existed across our multiple campus, there's been 100,000 hours of community service to the poor, to the needy, to the vulnerable, to the lonely, to the hurting people of our city. 100,000 hours spent letting Jesus' words from Matthew 5 ring true. Let your good deeds shine before people because when you do, they won't praise you. They'll actually praise your Father in heaven. In the last five years, there have been 600-plus people who've taken the step of being baptized. Fifty more are going to do it today. Making that bold declaration of their faith in Jesus, making that public and saying their intention is to follow Jesus all the days of their life and they want the community that's cheering them on from the, so from the shore to help them be a part of living that out. Every year at Summit, from the very beginning, 15% of everything that comes in uh, through tithes and offerings and things like that goes back out to ministry outside the four walls of Summit, to God's work, caring about vulnerable children in East Central Africa, seeing church planted, churches planted in the developing world, partnering with nonprofits that are doing Christ-honoring work in our own backyard, but also around the globe, seeing food sustainability and economic viability and AIDS care happen for the vulnerable, seeing dozens of missionaries supported in doing their work in reaching people with the hope and the help of the gospel. These are things that happen when you loosen the grip on what you have and you seek the kingdom. That kind of stuff happens again and again and again and again. Fifteen years ago, Summit started with a handful of people. And now look at what God's up to. And God will keep going. I think he's just getting started. That's the beauty of it. There's a power in God's people caring about what God cares about and being about what he is about. Because people cross the line of faith here. They make their faith in Jesus public through baptism here. They serve others here. They connect in Christ-centered relationships here in ways that they never had before. They have their lives changed for now and for eternity. That happens here. That's the reason. That's the number one reason I can't imagine not giving in this place, not seeing more ministry come to life. 
We serve a God who's big enough and loves enough to see this happen over and over and over again. And so the question is, when we hear that, when we hear the invitation of Jesus saying, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added to you, trust me, he says. And we see what he can do here at Summit in and through God's people being generous to what God is about. The question is, what's next? Like, what do I do next? What do you do next? Take a step. That'll include your time and your talent and even your resources. All things we can hold on to too tightly. And part, not all, but part of how that's been done by God's people from the beginning of the church and really far beyond that, all the way back into the beginnings of the Old Testament, has been through the tithe. Tithe is a word that means literally tenth. It's just a word that means tenth. We see it first with Adam's son Abel giving the first fruits of his labor. Shows up in Genesis 14 where Abraham gives a tenth of everything to the priest Melchizedek. Jacob in Genesis 28 says, All that I have, of all that I have, I'll give you a tenth. The tithe was, was formalized in, in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy for God's people to be a part of God's work. And if you're an astute biblical scholar, you may have heard me go through those lists and go, yeah, yeah, that's all Old Testament stuff. But look, man, it's New Covenant. Jesus said so. It's the blood of my New Covenant, so we're not under the old law anymore. We don't have to live that way. Here's all I'll say about that. Love will take you a lot further than law ever will. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. So we start with tenth, a tithe. It's a good mark to begin to, to trust God with our resources and what God is up to. God even says through the prophet Malachi, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse there, uh, that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, which is crazy. God actually says, test me on this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven for more blessings. You know what the blessing is? That we get to see things like this happen over and over and over and over again. I don't know how God's going to bless you specifically, but we get to be a part of this together. That's blessing enough. And there's the rhythm, trust leads to joining, which leads to trust, which leads to joining, and rhythm is created. Remember when we started this series, if you were here, I, I told a story of a, of a prima ballerina. It's a made-up story, I think, but, uh, but it bears out nonetheless. It's a good example. A prima ballerina who, who dances this truly unique dance. No one ever seen anything like it before. So afterwards, they go up to her, and people are, are crowding around her. They say, tell us what it meant. What did it mean? tell us about this dance. And she said, if I could tell you about it, I wouldn't have had to dance it. What we've said in this series is there's something about learning uh, more about these disciplines, these practices that have guided the church. But there's a lot more that happens when we dance it, when we participate in the practices and we see what God is up to through them. And so there are some tools here uh, at Summit that can help that rhythm, that discipline happen. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about how when I began to, to give to the church, it was actually really helpful for me to take to physical money and physically put physical money into a basket. It was something about, okay, I'm releasing this to you, God. I'm going to trust you with it, and you're going to do something great. Honestly, over time, though, it was a way for me to kind of manipulate and be like, well, this week, little low, da-da-da, and I could actually withhold. So I set up reoccurring giving, which is easy to do on our website and is so helpful because that's already been, it's already part of the rhythm. It just is. I don't have to make a decision about it. The decision's already been made in advance. We just launched uh, Text to Give. Welcome to 2010. Uh, so that's a way that, that you, can, you can be a part of that as well. These are all tools, right? These, these aren't uh, ways that we're like, hey, you got to do it, but it, these are tools that we can create rhythm of trust. 
which leads to joining God in his kingdom vision, which leads to more trust, which leads to joining him, which creates rhythm. And this rhythm, it's actually for us. It's not to earn God's love. Please hear me say that. You are already loved. It's grace. But it's also grace that we're invited in to his work. The rhythm is for us to join in. Remember, Jesus is giving an I wish song, not a system to follow. And for some of you, giving 10% of your income, it sounds like an absolute ridiculous dream. You've been out of work or you're struggling with your family. And look, if you need help, let us help. Let us be the church. That's part of what that whole 15% thing was all about. Let us be the church for you. Some of you find yourself in a place where, where you're, just, you're drowning in debt and you don't want to be there and you didn't intend to be there. But when you look at this, you're like, yeah, this sounds like such a good kingdom dream, but I'm barely keeping my head above water, keeping the lights on. Maybe for you, the first step is moving toward financial freedom. Uh, Jackie talked about Crown. That's a small group curriculum. There's a FPU, which is another uh, curriculum in class. We're going to be launching those in January. Be on the lookout for those. If you need to get financially free before you can have the freedom to join God, then do that first. But there are many of us that have the ability to be generous with our time and our talent and even our resources, in part for those who can't be. Just take a step. My encouragement would be kind of evaluate where you are, actually pray about what faithfulness looks like for you, and move 1% that way. If, if math is helpful to you to kind of think like, okay, what would a step toward faithfulness look like? And here's why. There are people in this city, when I earlier kind of said, what are your wishes? Like, what are your list of wishes? Oh, I wish, I wish I didn't have to worry. I wish I knew I was loved. I wish I got noticed. I wish I could belong to something. There are people in our city that have the exact same wishes, and they have no idea where to get those wishes answered. They have no idea what the answer to those questions are. And it's here. And it's with Christ. And so that's why we do this, for their sake. That's the invitation, not a system to follow, but a song to join. When we watch those Disney movies, uh, whether we're eight years old or college students or uh, 37 years old, even for a second, even if it's just for a second, when we hear those songs, we actually kind of get into it, and it's like, yeah, I, I kind of I do. When Ariel says she wants to be where the people are, it's like, I want to be where the people are. Like, that sounds so awesome. I want to paint with all the colors of the wind, Pocahontas. I really do, even though I don't know what that means, right? I want the wind at the sail behind me so I know how far I'll go, Moana. Like, we want it for just a second. And then the credits roll and we get back to life. But the thing is, the I Wish song of Jesus, this word that he gave us on that mountainside that is now here for us, it's not something we're supposed to want for a couple of seconds and then move on from. It's supposed to be what we're about, what we give our best toward. And every step of trust, of faithfulness, of, of being generous to the things God is about and toward the things he cares about, every step is the kingdom coming to life. And it's the one we're made for. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me. It's worth it. So let's be people who love God and love people. Let's be a family of faith that's bold and courageous and pursues the things of God, the things he cares about, the things he's up to in setting the world right. Let's believe that God put us here for a purpose, and the purpose is the people we lock eyes with when we leave here. 
And that will happen as we set our eyes on the kingdom and we loosen the grip of what we have and we take a step of trust because here's the last thing I'll say. It is a lot better to follow Jesus with open hands than it is with clenched fists. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your dream. Thank you for your wish. Thank you that when we are thinking most clearly, a world where people care about each other, care for each other, where no one gets left out, where we don't feel alone, where love is all there is and pain and hurt and despair and division are done away with, when we're thinking most clearly that's the type of world, the type of society we want to be a part of. So God, help us take steps in that direction with our time and our talent and even our resources. And God, if it's your will, give us continued glimpses of your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven like we will at baptism this afternoon, like we will when we serve others at Nice Serve. Let that be a motivator just enough to continue to trust, which leads to joining, which leads to trust, which leads to joining. Let us be in a rhythm of joining you in your kingdom dream. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.